Hello, and welcome to the Trail and Adventure Motorbike Podcast. With me, Clive Barber, and my good mate, Noel Tom. For the days when you can't ride your bike, there's always the Trail and Adventure Motorbike Podcast. Where's Noel? I thought he was fitting new tyres to his bike. He has been. He's doing that yesterday. He's probably still got the irons out. Me and Noel have a, a little known secret that we never fit our own tyres. We always go to a man in Kendall what does them for us. So I doubt very much he's actually fitted those tyres himself. Right. Ben Moose is infinitely harder than... Well, he wouldn't He wouldn't buy Moose's because they're expensive. <laughs> We've got a question from James, which we'll come to at some point. I would like to hear what you guys think about the essential maintenance skills that you need to acquire before you go out on the trail. So I'm just going to message... Oh, I can't, you can't even ring Noel up because he never answers his phone. Is there some kind of incantation you have to say or... To summon him. Yeah, he's got to rub together two chainsaws with a flat cap or something. I can try Noel's mobile, but he's never actually got it switched on. It's so annoying. Most normal people, you can just ring up, can't you? Let's try it just for a laugh. New messaging service. The person you are calling is unable to take your <laughs> Fuck's sake. Podcast gold. <laughs> <laughs> It's 12 minutes past. Let's start with that, Noel. Because uh, you only just come up with some weird shit anyway that nobody else really thinks is sensible or viable. Yeah, but that's the gold, isn't it? No, he's just insane. There's a few things in here left to talk about. What tools and other things do you take with you? Riding on your own, is it safe to do it? Riding technology, sat-navs and all that kind of stuff. And then something about the code of conduct. Then we've also got from James the... What essential maintenance things do you need to talk about? So let's start off with riding on your own, which I guess a lot of new riders tend to do anyway because you haven't made any pals yet, and I've certainly been out on my own. I guess the real dangers are as if you actually have an accident and you're left in the middle of nowhere, up a trail, on your own. You may not have mobile phone reception, so you could be in some fairly serious trouble. So what are your opinions on riding on your own and what can you do to make it safer? Will, you've got no friends. What do you do? Well, I just wait six months and then ride with you <laughs> for a week. <laughs> yeah, when I started out, I was a big bike. So I was really loath to go trail riding on my own with that because, you know, even if you do fall off, the thing might fall on top of you, which it was what to do. And then you saw you really are stuck. So I just didn't do it. I got on Facebook and found people, even if it wasn't through my local TRF group, because not all of them were riding big bikes. I could find a subset of people that were riding big bikes that would travel further because they're on big bikes to go trail riding. So I just never have, actually. And maybe a couple of times, but when I have done that, I've gone at a much slower pace, been a bit more gentle about things and um, just taken it easy. I've also got one of those Garmin's that can... You press an emergency button and helicopters fly in and rescue you. Isn't that really scarily expensive, though, if you actually do press that button? that you get like bills for tens of thousands of pounds no common misconception thing you get if you buy into the subscription service you get insurance for this but only that's only if you're abroad here you know emergency services are all free yeah so if you're in the uk there's no big fat bill used to be the eu as well so but i don't you know hashtag fucking brexit etc but yeah certainly if you buy into their service which is something like 15 quid a month then you get insurance for cool so basically push the button don't worry about it a smaller side Will's just messaged me. He's not so sure about that subscription thing. So if you do go with the Garmin inReach, make sure you have got everything covered before you do press that button and you've got all the subscriptions and insurances in place that you need. Back to the pod. I guess the other thing I've, I've thought about is, and probably did at the time, was not to ride anywhere that is massively remote. So certainly in, in Cumbria, maybe give the old coach road a miss because, well, you know, you rarely see somebody else on it and it's way north lakes. Whereas, you know, some of the other lanes, you, you quite often see other, well, usually walkers. I suppose co coach road, if you could communicate, is pretty accessible, isn't it? You could drive an ambulance up there. You could from one end, probably not from the other because there's one quite rocky ascent or descent depending on which way you're coming to that point you wouldn't you wouldn't ride up the most gnarly of trails on your own that would be a silly thing to do because you're already in peril because it's hard 
no one can get to you. Yeah, exactly. I guess that's my point. Miss out those bits that are really tricky or um, very remote. Obviously, it's best if you don't ride on your own. And it's a lot more fun if you do ride with people. I guess the other things are make sure you tell somebody where you're going. Give them a rough route of where you're going. Make sure your your phone is fully charged and you have one of those mobile chargers with you. It's quite a good thing. And keep it somewhere on your person. Don't put it on the bike. Put it in a pocket where if you do park company and you've broken your leg, you can actually just put your hand in your pocket and grab your phone some of this bleeds into the technology bit you'll get onto later but the garmin thing i've got is a sat nav it's got the emergency button on it but you can use your phone so the thing is tied to the bike right Mm. if you come off you still want to be able to communicate so you can use your phone to make gps calls and you say it's not crazy expensive it's 50 pounds a year yeah there's a joining fee of something like 20 quid or something and then it's 15 pounds a month right so you pay but it's a rolling contract so if you're going away for a month you put the 15 quid in and that's it then you can't, and then you just don't renew it for the next month. Oh, so you basically renew it when you know you're going away. So, so I could go out, I could go out for a ride on Sunday and go right. I'll pay me fifteen quid just in case. Yeah, and you could go out for another two Sundays at least. Yeah, excellent. Um, what about things like? I mean, you always take water out with you anyway because you don't want to get dehydrated. But maybe some. Food. What about an emergency shelter? I've never ever done that, but I suppose it's something you could do: food and water and an emergency shelter. Does anybody take an emergency shelter trail riding? Seems very unlikely. I think I've got a first aid kit with one of those foil blankets in it. That's probably about as close as I get. But I, I mean, I've never ridden on my own because when I joined to go trail riding, the whole idea was to to do things with people. And there's, there was always with you know Facebook and WhatsApp, there's always ways of communicating with people. Even if you couldn't go with an awful lot of people on a weekend, there's normally one or two people who go out and there's always a message on Facebook to say, oh, a group of people are going out. So I've never ridden on my own. And actually the first time I went out, someone did have a, an accident, which kind of took them out to an extent. They certainly couldn't ride their bike any further. And the fact that we are all there to pull their bike out of a, a wire fence and whatever was really handy. I mean, it's not just about, you know, if you have a, a whoopsie and hurt yourself, it's about if your bike goes flying off somewhere or you need to kind of get it out, you don't really want to abandon it on the trail. I mean, you will if you have to, but yeah, I would never ride on my own. Though I've seen loads of people do it, but the trails around our way, especially on the weekend, um, are quite well known and are quite well traveled. So there's normally quite a lot of people and you can tend to hear them a fair way off. So um I've never really had any concerns about that, but I always carry like a first aid kit just in case. The good thing about bikers is they'll always stop and help no matter what, whether it's a breakdown or a what no matter what it is, somebody does see you, they will they will stop and help. I came across this we were out trail riding once and I came across a cyclist who had slipped on the ice and fallen. But and there were car drivers just driving around. He was lying in the road. Car drivers were just getting around him. So we stopped and helped him out. But yeah, he was in a bit of a mess. I wish I'd had a sh- I wish I'd had a shelter then because I gave him all my kit and it was bloody freezing. <laughs> but yeah, it turned out he'd he'd a severe concussion and he'd broken his pelvis and all the rest of it. Wow! All stuff after doing first aid course. Now I would know much more about because his head was bleeding. I thought, oh great, his head's bleeding. That's that's the thing. But actually, broken pelvis, way worse. So there you go. Maybe there's another top tip, which is if there's a local like first aid course you can go on. I know they do them locally for motorcyclists. I've done a couple of biker down um, courses, which are really, really great. Normally run by police officers or um, paramedics or firefighters and stuff like that. But I think that's really, really helpful just for some almost like trail triage. Um, you know, you're never going to do them the, the, the prettiest bandage in the world, but you're probably going to stop someone bleeding out on if they if they really do have a clanger. So definitely recommend something like that. I think it's handy for anyone, whether you're trail riding or road riding or in general, really. Yeah, for sure. And shout out to TRF. If you remember, generally, they will run free courses. Local groups organise these things. And if they don't, you can just prod your chairman local to say, hey, get the fire service or whoever it is to come and organise that. I guess what we're saying with riding on your own, yeah, you can do it, but just take a few sensible precautions. Ride, ride carefully. Make sure people know where you are. And there's a few. We'll we'll come on to technology. It's down to the level of risk you're prepared to take, isn't it? Really, ninety nine times out of a hundred, you're going to be absolutely fine. But I guess there will be some freak circumstances where um, stuff could get messy. I guess some people would want to, right? Like some people would maybe want to ride on their own, and they're aware of you know the risks that they might have around that. But I guess that. For me, there's so many people who trail ride with such different like levels of experience, different bikes. I mean, I think we've got pretty different bikes that we all ride. But 
you know, the tools are out there to communicate with people who are at a similar level to you on similar machinery to you. And there's, there's going to be a way that you can kind of like share that experience with someone. And like we we're just talking about changing tires or if you you know get a puncture or something, it tends to be that these things aren't very funny if you're on your own and you're in the middle of nowhere. It's pretty, pretty depressing. But if you're with someone, it, it tends to tends to make the whole thing a little bit lighter, you know, like you can you can share the, the work to an extent and you can kind of have a bit of banter with someone and you can get a bit of help. But in the case that you're on your own, it probably isn't so much fun. So I guess some people might want to ride on their own, but it's never appealed to me. No, I agree with you. Yeah, a lot more fun when you're with a bunch of other people. Okay, so I guess one of the other things that can happen on the trail is a breakdown. And if you've seen uh, Greg's recent film, it happened to me quite a lot. And at least two other things happened that Greg didn't even include in the film, which we may or may not go into now. So I actually got away with um, quite a bit from that film. What other things do you take with you? You obviously have a toolkit, which has got a spanner and a screwdriver or a Torx wrench or whatever. You've got something that fits every nut and bolt on your bike, right? And you've been through that and you've checked your toolkit and you've taken things out that you don't need and you've put things in that you do need, right? Guys, you've done that, haven't you? I have done that, yeah, many times. Yeah, I haven't actually. I'm just hoping that it'll be all right. I've got a fairly good coverage in there. I just took the toolkit that came with the bike. I've checked that to make sure all the bits are in there and kind of rely on the fact that the people who built the bike know the tools that is required for it yeah. as well, well as it depends on the gear you're a yamaha right is it yamaha? no it's a beta now oh right okay yeah so you want does your toolkit include something to get a wheel get both wheels off because ktm's used to and no longer do that's the main thing if you have a puncture yeah. or a, well you shouldn't need to if you're running mooses but yeah because wheel nuts are big so you need a big spanner for those you haven't checked have you i'm looking at your face i can tell you haven't checked I'm- pretty sure i'm gonna check after this um, <laughs> but i also i i've got like a relatively small like lightweight toolkit i take with me as well with some extra bits and pieces just just in case but yeah i normally take the standard toolkit that comes with the bike i've got my additional kind of lightweight toolkit because i only have a relatively small bag i need to get a rack for mine half a ton of zip ties because you can <laughs> fix most things with zip ties i think that's about it from a tool perspective there's two more things you need to go along with your zip ties and that's gaffer tape and some metal putty if you get a hole in oh, your like hole jb in, weld yeah if you get a hole in your crank it's kind of really handy for it does happen I've, I've used it in the past you get a oil leakage you can put some of that stuff over and nine times out of ten it'll um fix your leak temporarily riding bmws the big pots that come out the side so your cylinder head goes out horizontally always smashing those i think i fixed four trail side no with, with that stuff yeah and it's permanent fix as well you can sand it back it's amazing thankfully everybody that listened to part one and part two have now sold their stupid big bmw and bought a beta or a ktm or a honda crf right guys okay hang on a minute i'll try that again right tampers i can hear an echo i think <laughs> screen 500 voices all called out i just i just somebody messaged in and, and referred to themselves as a tamper trail and motorbike motorbike sounds so I'm a daily. I'm 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 having it. I'm using it. I'm going to make badges. Sounds like you need to sort of get get your name on a register or something. <laughs> Are you a tamper? Yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, you <laughs> yes. you're not living next to me and my kids, then you bloody tamper. <laughs> yeah, maybe I won't use that then. So other things: spare brake gear and clutch levers. Yeah, I don't carry them. Yeah, I always have brake and clutch. I've never actually needed to use them because I have the wraparound handguards. Gear lever you have though, haven't you? Well, yeah, I have got a gear lever. Did I get my? Did I get it back? Yeah, I gave it to you, oh, at, um, Greg's. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, like, where do you stop with these things? Because I only have a relatively like lightweight backpack, and I kind of run on the assumption that hopefully nothing catastrophically will go wrong. And if it does, then kind of I'll just have to push the bike back. So I kind of tend to ride relatively leanly. Leanly is the, I don't think that's not even a word. You shouldn't even need to push the bike. So I listen, I've got a definitive list of things you can carry. And I tend to go a little bit over the top, so not everybody'll do this. But so you've got a tool that'll fit every bolt and screw on your bike. You've got levers, clutch, brake and gear, a selection of nuts and bolts, should anything rattle off. Gaffer tape, you've got cable ties, you've got metal putty, spare chain link if your chain breaks. I've had that happen to me. A spare spark plug. I've always had one, never needed it. And a cable kit as well. You can buy um, a little multi-use cable kit, so if something goes, you can kind of replace it. And then the other thing I usually carry is a, is a toe strap. 
So if you can't fix something, one of your mates can can tow you out. There's a safe way of, of doing that. So you basically, you will attach the toe strap to the bike in front to their footrest, just loop it through. And then what you do then with the other end of the strap is you fold it around the foot peg on your bike, the broken down bike, and you just put your foot on top of it. So if you do get into trouble, all you have to do is lift your foot off and the toe strap will come off. So you don't end up getting dragged under a bus or something like that. Shout out to off-road skills. That is a thing they teach you, the BMW course. So yeah, I've done I've done races with toe with toe straps. But you've met. You, what was it you mentioned there? You mentioned um, the master link. But yeah, I haven't got anything to um, break the chain. Take a chain breaker. I also miss tire levers. But do you know what? I don't carry tire levers because I've got. But that's the I've number got, one thing that's going to happen. I've got mooses. Yeah, but what if your moose disintegrates on the motorway? I'll fit a 21-inch tube. How? I'll borrow your tire levers. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but you're right, I'm bigger. bigger that, that's the other thing. If you are riding with a group of people, things like metal putty, spare tubes, tire levers, you don't all need to carry them, right? You just need to have one set of everything amongst all of you. This is where Noel would pipe up and say, no, no, you absolutely do. What are you saying? <laughs> that's quite a good impression. Thanks. I've been working on it. <laughs> speak of the devil let's see if he's joining or not i guess the other thing is not just like having the tools it's knowing what to do with them as well and i think that's another advantage of going out with experienced riders like going out with trf because there's a good chance that someone will not only have tire levers but know how to actually use them uh, which is you know makes your life a lot easier when it comes to getting your tire fixed in decent time rather than messing around on your own hey look we've just had a special guest joining us He's on mute, though. Is it Adele? No, it's not Adele. Hello? It's Noel, guest, and you're on mute, Noel. We can't hear you or see you. Oh, he's back. Can you hear... Noel, we can... Can you say something? Guys, 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 guys. Guys, guys, guys. No, what happened to the nine o'clock start? We changed it to eight. We changed it to Daylight savings. Yeah, it's in the invitation and everything. Oh, don't read that stuff. I just think that's the thing I need to look at when nine o'clock comes round. Do you not have a diary schedule kind of thing that the meeting goes diary. into no okay yeah right. what, what do you think yeah i know that's a silly <laughs> question silly me i'm the idiot here not you uh, so when when did it change to eight last week and the week before the week before yeah for two or three weeks ago right hey i'm glad you could join us though what a badge me about this kind of thing <laughs> I've got the opposite problem I, I would never remember that there was a time i just rely on, rely on the electronic buzzing thing to tell me when it's time to start oh, up stuff I, dude i would love an electronic buzzing thing there must be what uh, you've got a mac haven't you there must be one in mac yeah probably schedule diary tool i'll set aside an evening to find it and turn it on yeah it'd be well worth it we were just talking about the stuff you need to take for fixing things on the trail like inner tubes and tire levers and mooses and levers and nuts and bolts and gaffer tape and what conclusions did you come to that i take everything apart from tire levers have you sort of got on to what do you do in a group ride do you nominate one person to take all the tools yes well not all of them share them equitably amongst yourselves surely interesting <laughs> On my recent ride, I was in search of a missing nut, which I procured from a very out-of-the-way road sign, and it came off as a 12-millimeter-headed nut, if you like, or it needed a 12-millimeter spanner. And the one I found was the same thread, but was a, needed required a 13-millimeter spanner. And my riding companion we had designated as responsible for all tools, had Googled tools needed for a CRF and had found that 13 didn't figure in the list of <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I, brought a 13. I didn't think you needed any tools with a Honda. I thought they were bulletproof. <laughs> Isn't that what all of the, all of the uh, forums say? If you're going to buy your first trail bike is buy a CRF 250L. It was, an, it was another rattling loose situation. So presumably somebody had an adjustable with them, though. Uh, not really. But I would, I, so I would just say, if you're going to take spanners, take the full range of spanners. But that's pr probably quite obvious, isn't it? Yeah, I guess. But I'm always nervous relinquishing that kind of responsibility for tools to somebody else. Cause I kind of think you get to know your own bike and you get to know what all the little fiddly tools you need to take and the extensions for sockets, if sockets at all. Yeah, I agree. I tend to take everything. Never quite like admonishing that responsibility. 
Plus the fact you might get split up or or whatever. Autonomy is key. That was the opinion I thought he would have. <laughs> well, you, you didn't get quite that far with your impersonation of him a few minutes before he joined. <laughs> or did you actually hear that, Noel? Uh, was there a sweepstake and has somebody just won? Has, has everyone <laughs> a draw? <laughs> uh, so. I think it's a solid opinion, but it doesn't count for boiling water, obviously. Anything else we need to talk about on things you need to take with you? Have we, have we captured everything? I'm surprised that nobody brings tyre levers. No, you're absolutely right. You do need tyre levers. How many tyre levers? I think three. Three, yes. Correct. <laughs> changing tyres this very evening. You're doing it yourself? I was just saying that you always pay somebody else to do it. I normally do, and tonight I thought, no, I'll do what Greg says, I'll do it myself, and ended up wrestling with a rear tyre. And did it work? Falls submissions yeah i did it but god it's horrible isn't it i might get one of those rabaconda things really what is a rabaconda yeah. it's the things that makes when you see them do it on the on the youtube it makes it makes it look very easy to change a tire have a lever or something yeah it's a sort of a big rig thing that the wheel sits on and then you have a very very long lever yeah it's got lots of leverage yeah i, I went in with a guy in the village and we bought one together and use that every time amazing yeah. And they do work, right? They are good. They really do work, yeah. yeah. Probably the most middle-class thing you'll hear all day. What? When, like, when in a rabbit with a guy in the village. In a guy in the, in the village. Yeah, we picked, it, we picked it up from retros. <laughs> Got that on there, some hummus and quinoa. <laughs> but isn't the most middle-class thing you could possibly say is, oh, I pay a man to do my tyres for me? <laughs> Surely. Yeah. <laughs> So talking about what other people take when they go trail running, one of the things that I always take is a print-off of my insurance and tax and MOT, if it's appropriate. Have you ever had to use that? Because they do all the license plate. They get all that. Even I can test that. Does yeah, that but on, also on my first ride, I managed to snap my license plate off. Um, uh, so they had a chat. And also, yeah, they can, they can um, look you up, but... I always prefer to have a hard copy myself. That's, so. that's a good point, actually, Alex, because um, the the license plate thing, I have and have had for 16 years one of those flexible, not strictly speaking, legal show plates on my bike. But the thing is, they bend rather than break. And I've actually got, it's full size with full size lettering. So it looks completely legal, though, although for some reason it isn't fully legal. And uh, I've never had an issue with that. Have you been asked to produce documents ever, anyone? Nope. I have, yeah. I think it's a good idea. It's one of those things you just print them off once, leave them in your bag, they're there forever. And certainly if you go into Europe, I think most countries in Europe, um, you are required to carry your documents with you at all times anyway. I've, I've come across quite a few police on the trails. and Generally, it's a stop, helmet off, have a chat. And it's, like as soon as you've done that, that's, that's enough most of the time. The only other thing... I've got a, a red bike light that I take with me just in case if I do whack the rear fender and take the rear light out or something and you end up riding back when it's dusk or dark. Good good call. But one slight suggestion is I think you probably haven't heard the episode when we talked about not using the word fender because they're mudguards. My apologies. Don't do, don't do it again. You won't be invited back. James sent in a question about essential maintenance skills. What do you need to do in the garage to keep your bike up and running and reliable? I don't know why he asked me. He probably hasn't seen the last film we made where my <laughs> bike was frequently giving up the ghost. But what sort of maintenance do you do? Uh, God, this is a hard one, isn't it? Because all the old rules don't really apply anymore because bikes are quite tricky now. But I would always... The only lesson I've learned over the years is if you think something might need fixing before you go, it definitely does need fixing before you go. And then I've been caught out so many times with thinking those ties will get me around. They never did get me around. Those brake pads will get me around. They sort of didn't, and it did weigh on your mind a lot as you were on a trip. So I would say at least change the stuff that you know is on the way out or if you think that might rattle loose it will rattle loose do something about it yeah so it's, it's things like yeah brake pads obviously yeah. it's probably a wise idea to check your clutch fluid level every 16 years or so <laughs> <laughs> 
air filters, uh, I, oil and air filters. Yeah. You should be able to change. It's all pretty yeah. basic stuff, isn't it? And and if you if you're a bit nervous about having a go, just have a go anyway, because it's it's yeah. not difficult. Things yeah, like well, bearings are tricky, aren't they? Because like, well, you see, everything's happened to you, hasn't it? You've had the oil, the clutch oil level thing happen to you. You've had the wheel bearing thing happen to you during a trip. Yeah, wheel bearings are tricky, isn't it? I would sort of maybe put the bike on its stand you know tip it over and give them a wobble but other than that it's a bit of a lottery isn't it as to whether your bearings will see you through or not but yes agreed and i did do that you always give your wheels a bit of a wobble to see if the bearings are, are gone but they weren't when we left and they went on the trip but yeah bearings are one of those things you need a special tool for but everything else is just the bike's cleverly designed so that you can fix all these things yourself at home air filter easy couple of screws brake pads get the caliper off no sweat See, I don't think you do Oil need special tools to do bearings. And also, well, no, you probably don't need them, but yeah. it makes the job a billion yeah. times easier and more accurate. Yeah, it depends on the bike. I know in one of my Hondas, there's a little tool that you need that takes out a piece on a thread. Then it needs a three-pronged Honda tool number three one four four seven to to get it out. But generally, they are just take the dust seal out and get them out. That's Hondas, though, isn't it? They're awful to work on. Not like a KTM. You just whip anything out and back on in in seconds. Ready to race. <laughs> <laughs> Ready to relax. But that's uh, just. I mean, it's just the general keep on top of stuff, isn't it? There is a routine maintenance schedule for every bike it comes it will say in the book how often you need to change the oil don't skimp on oil changes do them more frequently if anything i change the air filter pretty much every time i ride my ktm dirt bike i've got three and you wash them all at once so that you've got you know you've got two ready to go once the next one's been used and do you find when you do that they needed doing yeah because they they're the they're the foam type of filter and you've got a very open air box on my KTM, so it does get grubby fairly quickly. And you... I've just replaced mine actually. I had because I had the air filter, the uh, paper air filter in, from stock. It seems to be doing fine. It had done three thousand miles or something. But I got one of the Google Tech ones on recommendation from everyone. So easy to fit. It is literally two screws. It comes out, goes back in, and apparently they're amazing. What about bleeding brakes? Because when your brakes start to go soft and spongy, I know I, I do mine now, but I, I really haven't sussed out a really good way of doing it. I tend to do something slightly different every time. I'll back bleed, as in you push the oil in from a syringe from, from the caliper up to the handlebar. And then what I tend to do is just you just flick it really light, flick the lever really lightly and repeatedly, and that helps to get the air bubbles out. And then also what I then tend to do is to pull the brake in and leave it on overnight because that then gravity helps the, all of the air bubbles rise up and pop out at the top and that tends to do the job that's all i do is just get an old inner tube and cut a big make a big elastic band out of a an old inner tube by cutting it up and stick that around the like you said around the lever and the grip and leave it overnight but i've, I've had breaks for years that i've never bled unless i've had to but no i don't do that routinely and haven't really suffered from that i don't think maybe i need to try it i mean that's the other thing you probably should do is to have a, a regular cycle of maintenance so every two years or whatever depending on how often you ride every two years change front and rear wheel bearings and then six months later do your brake lines or whatever i don't know that's probably a sensible thing to do life's too busy for that kind of malarkey though isn't it this is the same this is the same guy in the village that i bought the rabaconda with he does his wheel bearings like every third ride or something. But he, he rides enduros and rallies. So he thrashes that bike and then power washes it because he just doesn't really care about the bearings. Do you know what? I was thinking about the pack because a lot of people say don't use a jet wash on your bike because it destroys the bearings. And I'm thinking, well, I'd rather spend 10 minutes cleaning my bike every time I ride it and then a couple of hours changing the bearings once every couple of years because it just seems far more time efficient to me and you can power wash it without going near your spindle yeah yeah of course you just hold it back to lap it yeah yeah i'm gonna have to just um go upstairs and take something out of the rayburn that's that's the the second most (laughs) middle class thing thing i'm gonna hear how does a rayburn i thought they were sunglasses it's 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 an argo but they've got square (laughs) plates instead of round ones yeah well i was going to describe it as it's the poor man's argo but a poor man's argo who are you people (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's probably just as well you're going because we're going to talk about riding technology next and you've obviously not gone beyond is he gone he's probably has he's not gone beyond maps yet 
uh, probably a, a newfangled technology to to know. Technology-wise, Will and Alex, you are both men of technology. What do you use on the trail? Garmin. Garmin what? Garmin Montana 700i. Sounds expensive. Yeah, it was. But at this, like, so I got it on a friends and family discount because a friend of mine worked at Garmin, and that made it good. But they were ridiculously expensive at the time. They are still expensive because they've got that the in-reach thing that I was talking about earlier, the fact that you can communicate via GPS and not via phone signal. So it's a safety item. It's a navigation thing. Aren't they about um, £500 or more than yeah, that? Yeah, they are. Or more. Yeah, yeah. I could Google And if I, you know, if I, if I didn't have a discount, I would still be rocking my Montana 600, my Montana 610. Don't get the one with the camera. It costs more. Who the hell takes pictures on there? sat nav it's dumb but they're really good they're just a, they're, i have a secret technique to kind of downloading trails onto a 600 when you're out in the field but it's a bit of a palaver so garmin montana 700 yeah it's rugged and it's versatile it's also a bit it's, shit it, it, <laughs> it's not i've got a lot of garmin stuff because of my friend that works at garmin <laughs> and i do a lot of cycling then they they kind of nobody's good at it for whatever reason nobody has made a decent gps but it's the best connected thing that you can send gps gpx files to and sort of basically works but for the longest time you couldn't even navigate to a postcode and it also it turns itself off if you are ride above 60 miles an hour on a single cylinder bike there's that the vibrations it's telling you no yeah so just looking at the price i'm looking at a 750i which has got the in-reach technology and the camera. That's that's seven hundred seven hundred pounds. It's a hundred pounds less. So stupid. Six six hundred pounds without the camera, and it is five hundred and thirty pounds without the in-reach technology. Yeah, it's bonkers money. The great thing about having a device like a GPS is you can actually get GPX files off people. And GPX is a correct me if I'm wrong. It's a Garmin specific format. Uh, no, it's topographics. It's interchangeable, so you can use. They don't. They don't own it. They have variations of it, I think, but it's just an XML file that any anyone can make a GPX. Everyone does. It's not specific to Garmin. You could use it on anything that can read GPX files, which is basically any GPS or phone or whatever. Which allows you to do things like download the TET, yeah, or to share routes with friends, get something from a neighbouring. Um, TRF group that you can actually put onto your phone and pretty much opens up the rest of the world to you. Yeah, yeah. The TET is a GPX. Alex, what do you use, if anything? Uh, so a friend of mine has an iPhone with Uranger on it. So that's always um, done us well, pretty much. Um, there's normally times where we'll pull over and have a bit of a gander at it just to see uh, which way we need to go um, when compared to actual real world. But um, most of the time, the rides that I've been going on are with the TRF. The routes around our way are pretty well known, well trodden. So most of the time, it's a case of you pretty much know where you're going. And as a relatively new rider, you want to stay the right side of the trails, ride some relatively established trails whilst you get your skill level up. So I've never really needed or wanted um, to, to kind of go off the beaten track and go on some of those more less ridden routes. So for me, uh, from a navigation point of view, me and my mate tend to just use ViewRanger on an iPhone and that works pretty well. I mean, the only thing I'd recommend is having a really good phone case. I think Ultimate add-ons do a really good range of cases, which are really good and really rugged and even if your phone does fly off at however many miles an hour you're going on, it'll probably be relatively safe. The only other piece of technology I think is really, really helpful, especially on the trails, is what three words. So a lot of people navigate using postcodes and things like that, whilst if you're on the trails, there's a good chance that you don't know where you are in regards to a postcode. If you want to try and tell someone where you are, longitude and latitude is probably not going to be something that you can remember or if you're calling someone you're looking at it on your phone it's going to be difficult so having what three words all or a lot of the local emergency services now support that format so if you give them a what three words reference they'll be able to find you and i think that's a really really helpful thing to have if you need to get get yourself out of danger if you're in trouble you tell them where you are using what three words i think that's great what three words it's basically an app you can download onto your phone i'm not even sure there's a cost is there? no it's a free app so what what three words have done is they've mapped the world into three by three meters squares 
So you can give them a, th a unique three word reference to where you are. You'll relatively easily be able to locate yourself. You can drop a pin. It will give you the three by three square that you're in and a lot of emergency services or other people with that will be able to find you. Yeah, so I, I'm I'm like you. I've used a, a I've got an Android phone which I've used for years and years with various different apps on it. But I've actually just I bought a Garmin Zumo XT, which is a lot about half the price of uh, the 700, and seems to do everything that the 700 does. But it's probably not as rusty, tufty, and I don't know. It's not doesn't seem to be missing anything. Will yeah, if you can uh, if you can upload OS maps and stuff onto it, then you're winning. I've got the maps from Talkie Toaster. Yeah. But to be honest, it comes with like a, a base set of maps anyway, and they don't seem to add a great deal of detail to the maps that it comes with anyway. Yeah, I think if I, were, if I were doing it again, I would probably look at that a lot harder. You mentioned earlier your spot locator, the in-reach type of thing. No, it's built in. Montana has it. Right. But it's the same technology. So if you were to buy a spot, a Garmin, is it spot? Yeah, the little orange thing. No, spot is something else, isn't it? Garmin in-reach is one thing. And spot is another. And this is something that's built into a Garmin. Yes. A Montana. Yes. I, I've got a Montana. I don't know anything about this. Yours is from 1942, though, Noel. It doesn't work on that. <laughs> yeah, you're, I think they're still, you know, they communicate by semaphore. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, the newer ones, you can try. The newer ones. Yeah. You've got to always have the newer one. Why don't you yeah. have the newer one? Because <laughs> the older one works. Noel, yes. I don't know why I'm asking. Have you got anything to add about technology, technology to use on the trails? Keep it simple. I just have a Garmin 6-something. has the maps on it that came with it. I'm not interested in in contours and knowing where the trees are, as long as it's got all the roads on it. So I don't know. I just do a very simple kind of use a Garmin Montana, and but I don't sort of look for different kind of maps to put load onto it, just download the simplest GPX onto it, I can, and do it like that. I don't use phones as well. I find that problematic, but yeah, just a simple. I used to use the old 60CX, you know, the lovely little, look like a mobile phone. That was a great little simple device. But yeah, keep it simple. I think the only, the only danger is if you've kept it simple and you've got OS maps from 1970, whatever on it, which is basically what they are, as soon as you have to reroute, you're screwed. You can't, it's just... You know, all those byways are out of date. Mm. Then you have to go to the phone, <clears throat> which is a palaver. Yeah. Code of conduct, do's and don'ts. Now, I've actually I've cut and pasted a list of all the stuff from the TET, which is a particularly fine list, uh, and it has 14 different items on it. But let's just talk generally about the way you should ride on the trails. Um, you know, what attitude do you have towards other users and things like that, bearing in mind you're on a something that's still classed legally as a road and will also be used by mountain bikers, cyclists, walkers, children, horses, that type of thing? I mean, it's pretty obvious, isn't it, really? But I was recently on a trail ride. I've been on two trail rides in the last two weeks, and in both cases I've been going down long downhill stretches and... When I've seen people coming towards me, I've obviously slowed down. But I've also turned the engine off and just coasted. And I've found that it's made absolutely no difference to, the, <laughs> to, to how people react to me coming the other way. So slowing down. Greg said something interesting, didn't he, recently, and when he said that he started to treat people like horses. And that's probably a good way of dealing with walk, walkers on tracks, isn't it? Stop and feed really, polos. Yeah. Of going, of going the extra mile and really slowing down almost and turning off maybe even sometimes. But that seems to work. It didn't work with me the other day. But yeah, other, other users, yeah, slowing down. That's the big one, isn't it? One thing that occurs to me as well is that um, I, I have seen posts from people on various forums that, you know, I've got a motocross bike, where can I ride? And the, the answer is you can ride it on a motocross track. You can't actually take it on a trail because legally trails are roads, unpaved roads. So you do need tax insurance and everything else that you uh, you need to have passed your test and all that kind of other stuff. Most people are pleased to see you generally out on a trail. I have found anyway. If you stop, helmet off and have a little chat. It's the helmet off thing. But if you've got a flip up, great. 
I wouldn't trust one, but it, you, you know, a face that they can see and chat to is great. But some people are just assholes. I mean, I see it. I, I do a lot of bicycling around trails and stuff, and they're just they're, they're, it's the same people that are just cross that you're sharing their space with them, even though they're walking on a road. Yeah, I think that's the thing I struggle with as well when people you know have a go at you, and you, you tend not to be aggressive towards people. Uh, they tend to be aggressive towards you, which I, I think is a bit weird. I don't know why that because you're stood next to a motorcycle that they feel it's acceptable to, to like shout at you and say things like I'm going to call the police on you and things like this. And you kind of think, well, if you were walking along an A road, then it would be me on a motorcycle calling the police on you for for walking along an A road or something like that, which I know is still you know okay to do, but very dangerous. But uh, I found recently with um, my WR was was very standard, had a massive exhaust on it, um, very standard exhaust. So it actually wasn't particularly noisy um, and relatively unoffensive. But the beta is a bit more noisy. Um, and I every time I see a horse, even in the distance, I'll kill the engine and just walk the bike. It just makes life a lot easier. But the reception I've had from horse riders is they're really quite surprised at that. And they'll actually stop and want to have a chat and things. And that's that's really nice. And I hope that if they say if they get back from their ride and say oh some motorcyclists you know stopped and were very respectful then that kind of does it hopefully heals any damage that they've had from a negative experience but i tend to find you know just be aware of the noise that you're making more than anything else well i, th- I think the thing is with horses is, is it's a good idea to ask them because I've found the reactions kind of vary. It's often a good idea to ask them, what would you like us to do? Because some horses are fine and you can kind of ride past them. Others are adamant that you switch the engines off and go back the other way and hide so they can get their horse for, you know down the rest of the lane kind of thing. Yeah. And to be honest, if you've got the right attitude, it shouldn't be, shouldn't be a problem doing any of those things. We want people to accept us and... So there's no reason why we shouldn't be accommodating for other people. Horse riders will, will normally signal what they want you, they want you to do, whether to keep going or, or to stop. I would say also as well, it's, I, it's always best to, I think, expect a positive reaction every time and go into it that way, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, think I, always, I always bring polos with them with the horses because sometimes the skittish ones that aren't quite sure are curious. And if you give them a polo, it just sort of reinforces that, oh, if I see a motorcycle, I might get a polo. <laughs> I think the other thing to remember there as well is horses obviously fly animals and so even if you stop your bike and walk past them don't just jump on your bike fire it off and go hooning off into the distance because there's a good chance that that's going to do as much damage as you know riding past them i think the thing i always think about is that around the next bend there could be a small child and i think you ride accordingly so it could be a child or, or a dog or a... or a bike coming the other way i've ridden with loads of people where you kind of think I think they think this is a one-way trail, you know, and that you almost need to, on some tracks, you really do need to almost keep left or right, depending where you are. And yeah, just I've, I've had friends break legs in those exact yeah. situations, yeah. I think there was a, two bikes collided in near us, didn't they? They'd climb in Grisdale, where that was a, it was a really nasty accident, where two riders hadn't expected to meet something coming the other way. But yeah, always expect something around the corner, definitely. So other things, I'm just looking at the list now, keep to the defined way across farmland. Certainly in the lakes, some of the tracks are quite tricky and people will take a detour across the grass and whatever. Yeah. And farms take a very dim view of that because you're effectively removing the food for their animals. Yeah. Or just don't cut corners, that's the other thing. There's a few S-bends near me that people sometimes cut and that doesn't that doesn't help. It's things, obvious things like leave gates as you find them, so as to safeguard stock, travel at safe speed, taking regard of conditions and visibility. The tet is not and should never be regarded as a racetrack. Ride quietly and use the throttle with discretion, as noise does offend. And I guess that, that's more importantly when you are passing residential places. Campsites as well. I was really conscious <clears throat> on our Wales trip that my bike was really loud, and I actually paid to quieten it slightly. Well, what I was going to say, was it really loud? Did you change the exhaust on it? Well, I, yeah, you I have, haven't you? Have. Changed. <laughs> you and I put it to you that you have changed your exhaust. I had, to, I did change the exhaust because I had to, because I couldn't put luggage on my bike without it going on fire. So I had to change the exhaust. <laughs> so what did, what did you do? Did you buy a baffle to put in it? It already it came with a baffle, <clears throat> but he, due to request of weird people like me, he actually made a second thing, which made the, this is Wings exhaust, which make exhaust for all sorts of people, all sorts of bikes. And he's really good, the guy. There's a special thing you can put on the other end that makes it even more quieter, like a little cone valve thing. It's worked. 
It has worked, yeah. yeah. So do not travel in large groups. Six or less is the ideal. I think that's not un- not unreasonable. If you are in bigger groups, then just break them down with a, you know, leave half an hour between you. Half an hour? Oh, I don't know. I'm just making shit up. <laughs> five minutes. Okay, five minutes. Let's go is. with five. Ten. Let's go. <laughs> I'll, I'll raise you to I'll raise you twenty. Uh, remember that trails can be fragile and susceptible to erosion, especially when wet. Please consider a detour. Yeah, that's certainly the case if you're riding over. Where do we stand on riding down the middle of the track? In what context? Well, if you've got a track, I'm often on a track that's quite grassy being a green lane and there's two tracks mm. usually quite gravelly and you can always see down the middle there's like a muddy section where a, usually a motorcyclist has decided to create a third way down the middle of the track on the only grassy bit that's, that's trying to survive so i always try unless it's the roots are too deep to stay in the track and not in the middle of the track am i going too far uh, I have no opinion on that. Really? So yeah. you, don't, you don't give that any thought? No, but I will now. It's going to trouble me. Yeah, it should do. So I tend to go the easiest way. Right. I second that, Claire. The way that's not going to make me fall off. As, as a person who doesn't have a, a huge amount of experience, but has experience that ruts are really hard, if there is a way of avoiding a rut, I'll probably take that option. Absolutely. Yeah, I think what's also going through my head is sometimes you'll often find as well that's probably the only bit left for the lovely rambler to walk along is the lovely bit in the middle. And if you're going to create a third route, that's not great. The TRS say that you should stick to the uh, Land Rover trails, don't they? You know, the wheels. Do they? I love the TRF. I'm going to join, definitely now. You should definitely join. (laughs) You've never thought of that, Clive, have you not? You selfish... I am intrinsically selfish, you know that. But at the same time, very generous in some ways. I bet Will's thought of it. That's all I think about. (laughs) He's thought of everything. Okay, number 11 in the list is acknowledge the presence of other trail users with a friendly wave and a smile. It doesn't cost anything. And an open face helmet. No, fuck that. I especially do that to people that have a miserable face on, which is most most walkers, really, because they hate you. Yeah, but that's fantastic, isn't it? Yes, yes, it is. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. Still going to do it, though. But the open face helmet thing, I think, you know, if you are stopping that, putting a face behind, and Noel will tell me off for having a mirrored lens goggles, but as soon as you put a face on it, like, all right, you're actually a human after all. You're not some douchebag on a noisy... Ready so to you, race machine. You, you acknowledge that, Will, and yet you still go out dressed, dressed as a Star Wars character. Yeah, because I can see, breathe, hear all the rest of it better. So it's good kit for me to progress and do my day. But if I stop, I'll take it all off and, you know, reveal my hideous face. But the ride by Will, nobody gets to see the real Will when you ride by. They just see scary robots. They're like an Autobot. Little do they know. Underneath that mirrored visor is one of the nicest people you'll ever meet, but they'll never know that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I get it. You know, the human thing is, it, and if I need to, I'll stop and, and I do take it off at every opportunity. If I'm stopped at all, I will take the helmet off to, to talk to people. I don't do it through my helmet. Always take my helmet off to talk to someone because it's amazing. I think it's that tr- the thing, you know, when they, the police did that. Um, it's not a biker it's a, whatever it is it's not a bike it's a biker and they had to, like a little backstory of like, that person on the motorcycle is quite vulnerable and all the rest of it it's the same thing helmet and goggles people think you are basically a robot take it off yeah. I do take it off a lot number 14 which is contribute to the viability of rural communities by spending your money with local businesses yeah I went in a cafe the other day and they gave me 10% off because I was on a motorcycle no way which one yeah, in uh, uh, in Coniston. Is stopping at cafes a big part of your trail riding experience, or is that just me? That's me too. I wish there was cafes on some of the trails that we ride. Uh, unfortunately, the only place we ever stop is at a petrol station. So uh, especially if it's cold and rainy, the one thing you can look forward to is a uh, a coffee from a machine that's warm and a Mars bar. Yeah, oh, is this a, is this the Thetford loop? 
Uh, yeah, so we, we normally stop at Brandon because it tends to be in the middle. Oh, Brandon's um, good. Yeah, some good stuff in there. It's a nice Greek place. <laughs> we tend not to stop for like lunch. It's just a case of put some fuel in, have a Mars bar and crack on. Well, you could get a baklava instead. He doesn't stay. He's young. He doesn't stop for lunch. <laughs> that that will carries change. on until it's dark. Yeah, there should be a list. Yeah, for every one of those rides on View Ranger or wherever, there should be a list of top-notch places to stop. So, Alex, you wouldn't take. You would never take a little detour to find that artisan little coffee shop. Um, I don't think so. I think that my trail riding experience is normally I've got a couple of hours before I have to go back into dad mode. I see the the movies that you guys make and the amazing countryside you you ride through, but I tend to find that the route that I ride is more is is less road. Definitely, there's very very little road on it, so the opportunity to come across those kinds of places is relatively limited. The goal of the ride is normally to get as many miles under our belt as possible on the trails and enjoy that. Nah, you're missing the point. I know. I, I need to go riding more often with more people. So. It doesn't matter if you're in your kit, you're still having fun. So it's fine. You can stop. You're at a cafe. You're still in your kit. You're still having fun. That brings us to the end of our three-part beginners podcast. Have we missed anything? Have we got anything wrong? Please get in touch with us. You can actually message us via our Facebook page, uh, and we, we love it when you do. So give us a shout if we've got anything completely wrong or missed anything or you'd like us to cover anything else. A massive thank you to Alex and Will. Alex is, is a listener who um, agreed to step up and help out with this, so really, really grateful to him and um, our old friend Will as well. So we have a few ideas for podcasts that are coming up. We're going to do one on multi-day trip planning, and Paul and Greg are going to join us for that one. We have a very special guest joining us in the new year. His most popular film has got over a million views, and he's quite a character, so we're really looking forward to him. He's going to be a nice surprise i'm not going to tell you who he is and also we're thinking in celebration of the new ferry from holland to denmark we're going to do a scandinavian special so i've got a couple of listeners lined up to cover denmark and norway i'm really keen to hear from any listeners that would like to contribute from sweden and finland to tell us an awful lot more about trips to scandinavia which with the new ferry should become a much stronger possibility also if you've got any more ideas you've done any great trips and you'd like to be on the pod give us a shout we'd be um, more than happy to have you Tra. thanks for listening We really appreciate your support. Don't forget you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And if you really appreciate what we do, you could consider supporting us on Patreon or buy us a coffee. Links are available on our website, which is tampodcast.com, tampodcast.com, where we also have a limited selection of branded stuff. But either way, please keep listening and spreading the word. See you next time.